Hey there, film fans. I'm Jeff. I'm Dave. And I'm John. And welcome back to The Love of Cinema, a pod in which we'll challenge one another to discuss movies, both new and old, with a strictly positive critical eye. That's right. And to avoid any lazy negativity, we have decided to make this here episode a drinking game. This, this episode? <laughs> oh, we did the double open at the same time. Yeah, we, we haven't That's been drinking right. all year. No. So that means, here's the gimmick, people. Anytime we say anything negative about a film, or if we just say something stupid, you're going to hear this sound. <laughs> that sound means drink. I'm going to go ahead because I heard it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, once you sheep. yeah, that'll keep us on track so we're not those stuffy negative critics you're sick of hearing. We are a positive film criticism podcast who gets drunk. Positive. <laughs> so pour yourselves a glass, join us and give it a up for the films we love and perhaps the films that need some love. It's an interesting Purr. selection this week. Perhaps. Yeah. yeah. We're going to keep it moving because we're going to do a, a Facebook Live session soon, but um yes. before we get on to films from the, the year 1962, Let's send it over to John for some quick shout outs. All right. The shout outs, as always, our beer sponsor, believe it or not, he's still our guy, even though we haven't had his delicious brews in way too fucking long, but he still exists. His name is Carlos Barozzo. He is in Queens, New York. Follow him on Instagram to check out all of his awesome updates for his home brews at Cbarozzo Bar 2019. That is C-B-A-R-R-O-Z-O-B-A-R-2-0-1-9. And as always, the music you hear on this every uh, episode and every other motherfucking episode is provided by the artist Dasein. That's Dasein, D-A-S-E-I-N. You can find all the music available for free downloads at soundcloud.com forward slash Dasein dash artist. Yes. Thank you, John, for reminding us that there is an explicit content warning, if you notice. There's a motherfucking explicit content Uh, warning. Usually it's talking. (laughs) <laughs> uh, we're gonna we're gonna do our usual round of what you've been watching and any news stories in our second segment but we want to get into it so we are going to start with a quick little recap of what's going on in 1962 what 1962 year? kennedy is president how about that what mm-hmm. a time in our life we were almost out of vietnam <laughs> almost anyway uh 1962 number so one close. film number one film at the <laughs> number one film at the box office not a surprise to anybody anybody Number one film at the box office? Lawrence of Arabia? Lawrence of Arabia, $20 million worldwide on a budget of $15 million, which those are big numbers in 1962. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And the $15 million budget was way higher than it was supposed to be. That shit took a long time to film. That movie is very long. Steven Spielberg did the inflation measurement one time, and he estimated it would be $330 million to make that movie today. Oh my gosh! I mean, also the setbacks and who knows how many camels died during yeah, two yeah, years yeah. of um, shooting. I, mean, I don't think so. They just do it all on a digital stage. We're good. Exactly. Yeah, you're right. To make it, but that, yeah, to make it real yeah. the way he made it, it was good. Right. One of the all-time <laughs> shots is the reveal of Omar Sharif when he comes out of the Oasis. That special God, lens they used is is literally in the Hall of Fame. The lens they used to film that shot is literally in the Hall of Fame. Anyway, we got to keep mm-hmm. it moving. We're not talking about Lawrence of Arabia. We're how did they about- say action to him? How did they call yeah. action on that shot? They probably, honestly, <laughs> honestly, they probably fired. They probably fired a weapon of some kind, and it had, and it probably had real bullets. Um, oh, okay, so good. number two is the longest day at seventeen million, which is a lot. How about mm, that shit? Wow. Oh my god! And nice. somehow that day was longer than Lawrence of Arabia. Um, <laughs> number three, we had a Disney movie in there, In Search of the Castaways. And then uh, one mm. thing that we definitely noticed is that a lot of musicals going on in 1962. So you have The Music Man starring Robert Preston there mm. at number four. You have The Touch of Mink. That Touch of Mink 
Mutiny on the Bounty was another film we discussed talking about. You have To Kill a Mockingbird, which more on that soon. You have Hatari! It's a Paramount <laughs> picture. You have the original <laughs> film of Gypsy. There's another musical. And you have Bon Voyage, The Interns, making $5 million. That's the top 10 at the box office. And if you want to go over to the Oscars, the big news story was really To Kill a Mockingbird versus Lawrence of Arabia. Very notable. Uh, David Lean won for directing Lawrence of Arabia, which also won Best Picture. Um, You also have The Miracle Worker, which won a bunch of awards, including Best Actress Anne Bancroft and Best Supporting Actress Patty Duke. You have Ed Begley Sr., to all of our 80s television fans. Mm. Uh, Ed Begley Sr. won an Oscar for Sweet Bird of Youth for Supporting Actor. And then Best Actor, you have Gregory Peck versus Peter O'Toole. What a showdown. Gregory Peck takes it. I I have a feeling if he had won for any of the films he had done previously, they probably would have sided with Peter O'Toole, but I am not on that campaign. Um, Which is weird that they like passed that off to Peter O'Toole, who eventually won for Lion in Winter, and everyone thinks that was not the one he should have won he, for. I don't think he he didn't win for Lion Oh, he didn't win for that. Yeah. He never won one. They gave him he an honorary won. one later. Because he yeah, should have exactly. won for, yeah, exactly. And he basically Lion. took that honorary one, and he said, go fuck yourself. Um, <laughs> any, other, any, other, any other movies that you guys noticed I have, that I didn't yeah, say? Two honorable mentions. This is the year of Stanley Kubrick's first movie that he made kind of on his own, where he wasn't basically hired by Kirk Douglas to come in for a movie we talked about at the very beginning of our podcast. Was it our first episode when we talked about... Um, yeah, first episode. Damn Shout it, what's out. the name? What's the name? Uh, Paz of Glory. Paz of Glory. <laughs> Fuck, Paz of Glory. And then he made Spartacus. And then this year, 1962, was his first one on his own with his producing partner. He made Lolita, which was a very risky first film. Mm. And uh, my very legendary Russian director, Andrei Tarkovsky, made his first feature film, Ivan's Childhood, which did very well internationally. It's an amazing film. You should check that out, too. Anyway. Um, you also have the original Cape Fear for all my Scorsese mm. fans. That remake in the 90s is awesome with De Niro. Um, and I guess that's it for now. We can move it on. Anything else, Dave? No, I think, I think we covered it. Awesome. Okay, so it. as you saw in the episode notes, we're going to start with To Kill a Mockingbird. Heard of it, people. Harper Lee's book just said starring starring gregory peck and one of the great the all-time great child performances in our scout scout who is fuck she's not on the first page here <laughs> i'm gonna i would have bomb her name yeah I'm like, god that's, damn it that's what's jeff that's jeff what's her name Villa, jeff <laughs> yeah where the, way, where the fuck is she hold on wait is jean she's right down Louise? the bottom she's right down the bottom Dave, you can say it. On the, on the list. <laughs> yeah, what is... No, no, I just remember looking at it earlier, and I was like, why is she not at the top? Like, oh, here you go. Kim's... in the whole movie. Oh, nope, nope, that's her as an adult. <laughs> I'm going to find it. You keep going. All right, sorry about <laughs> that. Okay, sorry. To Kill a Mockingbird first. Then we're going to talk about whatever happened. It's to... Mary, Mary Batum. Mary Batum. Batum, B-A-D-H-A-M. All right, and then the second film we're going to be talking about is Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, which is a fantastic, Oof. fantastic film if... That's so cool. If you have ever seen Feud or heard of Feud, the Ryan Murphy show with Susan Sarandon and, oh my God, uh, Jessica Lange. Lange. Yes, they play original movie stars. (laughs) Yeah, they play Betty Davis and Joan Crawford. Crawford. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, the beer is not hitting me yet. Oh, it's a group effort. Remember a name it's a group tonight. effort. It's a group effort. No, it takes three. It's a fantastic film with the Jeff's two of them. Books, the, the two of them playing sisters that are totally fucking with each other. That are it's Ooh. so 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 fun. Yes. And then the, stay tuned. Join us live. So fun. That was a fun movie. And then the last mm. weird. The last film we're going to talk about. I mean, the the is, title does not give away where that goes at all. Yeah, it's whatever happened to Baby Jane. I don't know. And yeah. the uh, final film that we'll be discussing is our redemption film, or was it really that bad? And that goes to Godzilla vs. King Kong, 1962. Specifically, the American version. Yeah, because yes. that's the only one we could find the, because the it's American research. Re-edit. You cannot find yeah. the Japanese. It literally has not been released except through Criterion Spine Collection, which we don't have access to since we only do this. We, we picked them within a week. We didn't have time to order a fucking Blu-ray DVD. But you know what we saw? Yeah. is We King saw King Kong versus Godzilla. Godzilla versus King Kong. Yeah. That's what we saw. So we're going to try to redeem that at the end once we're nice and saucy. But we got to get in to <laughs> To Kill a Mockingbird. As I said, starring Gregory Peck and Mary Bottom, of course. Uh, it is a fantastic film based on the Harper Lee novel. It's also... Um, the the breakout for Robert Duvall, who you will see later in mm. life, playing Boo Doesn't say a word. Radley does not say a word, but certainly speaks a lot with whatever the hell is going on with his face and his body in there. Uh, you also have Brock. Did he, did, I'm sorry, just quickly on him, when he finally you finally see him in full, did he resemble the giant from Twin Peaks, or is it just me? Oh, I guess good. a little bit. That's, that's good. good. Yeah. All my Lynch fans out there. Nice. Oh my gosh. Anyway, fantastic cast. Joseph Brock Peters wow. plays Tom Robinson, the man on trial for uh, raping a woman who uh, I'm going to go one. ahead and spoil that he probably didn't rape. Has to turn to duty as a lawyer. This is set in Alabama in the 1920s. It is based on that Harper Lee's mom knew about when she grew up. So it is loosely based on Harper Lee's childhood. Um, and apparently Truman Capote, her childhood friend, is the inspiration for one of the younger friend characters in this film. All right, I'll leave it there. Directed by Robert Mulligan. It's an all-timer. All right, so who wants to get, get it into it? Who wants to go? I just, I just want to say we're going into this with the knowledge that King Kong versus Godzilla has a Criterion spine number and this doesn't. <laughs> really? Well, maybe they mm-hmm. think that this film, um, or maybe even this, mm-hmm. do you think it's a studio thing? Do you think the studio knows that this is like precious material? I, I don't, do you have to pay for Criterion or, or they, like, are they putting? They, they like, usually select you, but they usually try to do stuff that yeah. needs their help. You know what I mean? Uh, so, but it is also a money thing. Like Paul Thomas Anderson isn't in Criterion. You would think mm. somebody in the artistic kind of vein would be. Not all Kubrick is in the Criterion, by any means. So it's weird. It's hit or miss. They did. I, I, the only reason I would comment on that is because last year they did a big deal where they got all of Hishiro Honda's uh, Godzilla right. works and they like brought them all back to life. So it was a recent thing. It's not like that. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like they were like, fuck to kill a mockingbird. Let's do Godzilla. <laughs> like, that was just, I feel like that just happened recently. Anyway, when was the last time you guys watched this movie? Have you ever seen this? Have you ever seen this movie? Never Jeff, seen this movie see and play? never read the book. Yeah, I had never no read the experience. Book, never I, seen the movie. Yeah, I had no experience with, with what this was at all, and I went in completely blind. Well, based on your Dude. based on your accent, the the listeners probably wouldn't be too surprised to know that this wasn't required reading for you. <laughs> and we, it was it was certainly yeah. required reading for all of us, whether or not we did. Did you know the story? Too. Nope. What? All right. Well, wow. Do you, do you mind starting? Do you mind starting? Like, I want to know it because, like, this is such a famous, iconic pillar of literature and fiction and movie, movie as well. Not just the assigned reading the book. Yeah, in I mean, school. I, I've heard of this thing for years, and I, I never, like, I didn't really look into it as as much. And I wish I had, having seen what I saw now. Like, I 
just enjoyed it on an, another like a, I enjoyed it and was appalled by it because like basically it's you know it's in Alabama there's a black guy on trial for raping a white woman and so as you can imagine it's not going to go well um yeah so, so there's the 30s. There, yeah, yeah it's set in the days there there is uh like there's a lot of content there a couple of times there where you know they drop racial slurs and to be honest in my opinion necessary for the story in this case it was necessary yeah. to highlight the times i, I feel like uh, when they removed uh gone with the wind and put it back with like an advisory and a discussion i feel like this could like if this ever gets on streaming um it could benefit from that as well like a discussion on this was this was the times this was the culture and let's have a discussion about that um but uh, in general the story basically starts out so innocent it's just it's a neighborhood which i found out i researched uh they actually built that neighborhood on the wow. universal lot Whoa. it, it oh, looks cool. it looks that. like a fucking neighborhood mm-hmm. and it's it's amazing that it's, it's it, i mean it's a well deserved oscar for art direction that this one yeah uh, i believe and but I enjoy, I enjoyed the setup of this film yeah. so much that I forgot to take notes. I just got wrapped up in what was going on. I'm just like these kids are amazing, and it, it, like it, it would have really dragged if those kids weren't as good as they were. I do. Yeah. I, I mean, I do want to kind of bring up the the friend. Yeah, he was uh, too performy <laughs> child <laughs> actor. No, yeah. that kid's gonna grow up to be a fucking serial killer, man. He's he's like, let's go look at the let's go look at the haunted house. Let's go look at the bodies. Let's go to the courthouse. Yeah. My dad has fifteen different jobs. His dad has more origin stories than the fucking Joker. I mean, I don't think his dad. I don't think he knew who his dad was. No, I, I think, think he, he, he was up. making yeah, it up yeah, every yeah. time. But yeah. Yeah, 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 but even then, like even this kid was like, at first he was a little bit. Oh, he's not as good as the other kids, but he really fell into it and grew. And it was like. Not there's not once in yeah. this whole fucking thing you're thinking about the acting at all. It's just like mm-hmm. they're not acting. I know it is unreal. The the I struggle with child performances too, just in general, because um, unless they're amazing, it's it's really easy. I think to see. Of course, we we can we can see bad acting on anyone, but we you know for adults to make it into like really good movies, hmm. they're probably really good, and it's so easy to see if they're bad opposite other good actors in good movies. But sometimes not great child actors sneak into yeah. really good adult I just, performances. I just, played, I just played that back in my head, and I just want to clarify, when I say they're not acting, that was a compliment. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, they, yeah. I mean, I don't know how the <laughs> fuck they got. Robert Mulligan directed this. He didn't make anything else that's quite this popular and successful, and I do not know how he got the casting and the work out of these children, because they're, they're still considered some of the greatest child performances of all time, yeah. and it's and it's well-deserved. I think it's also... Um, I mean, I did read some notes where he said that he would just let them too, play yeah. and let the cameras roll. And yeah. he learned to get it in the first two takes because after that, they just lost it. So that's that's a really yeah. good example of a director adapting to working with... I mean, we've, we, we, tried, we tried working with a kid once. That, was, that didn't go as well as these kids did, but it, it still no, went pretty no, no. good. <laughs> she was like three years old, though. That was more she difficult. was three years old and cute as hell, too. <laughs> so cute. Hey, Marley. Um, we What's she, like seven uh, yeah now? that's a, at least right yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was so long ago <laughs> Steven Spielberg has referred to this because I I he works with kids a lot and I I like listening to Steven talk about working with children and you know performance because he he gets such a kick out of the way that he has to adapt to working with them and he's referred to this movie before and how Robert Mulligan would get them to like get them to play get them to interact with each other so that they don't really know that you're going to call action eventually they they understand the technical aspect but they don't really know that 
you're going to want them to hit this moment and this moment at this moment. You're just trying yeah. to get them to feel comfortable and actually, you know, real. And I also think um, this is to heighten this even more. Sometimes we could say, well, yeah, but you know, Gregory Peck is so wonderful yeah. with them that of course they feel comfortable, but he's, you know, there are a lot of scenes where it's just the children and mm. they are just carrying a lot of the story and the relationship between Jim and Scout is magnificent. The, the, the It's not just one child and you're capturing like really good moments and there's a lot of cutting. These are long takes with long scenes of children talking to each other and playing and behaving and choreographed all over that neighborhood you yeah. talked about. It really is astonishing. And it, like it's, <laughs> it's so good. You fall into what the kids are doing so much that when the like yeah. the older lady from the neighborhood walks up and starts talking to him, you're like, oh, go away. <laughs> like you're interfering yeah. with playtime here. But I, I was yeah. here like 20 minutes in and it's I think it's about 22 minutes in all that innocence that was built up just gets snapped out in one statement. And yeah. you're like, okay, that there's a whole other world going on here that these kids are not aware of. And it's not pleasant. And it kind what of sets you, you up. It's, 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 it's where, uh, it's where one of the, uh, the actors drops the, uh, the racial the slur that, yeah. 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 And yeah. Uh, you're like, Oh, fun's over. And it, mm-hmm. it kind of pulls you back a little bit. And I feel, I feel like in, to be honest, this whole story is a little bit yeah. about kids losing their innocence as they realize that adults or like people in general can just be fucking evil. I think that is literally the whole story. Like that is the theme, right? And I, I'm going to push back on you just a little bit. Maybe we can have our conversation about watching this with a responsible audience mindset of, you know, looking at this as that time capsule. I think unlike Gone with the Wind, maybe the reason we don't need to have a preemptive conversation or a uh, a nice written passage with on the streaming service is because Atticus teaches us along with the children, don't say that word. Yeah. And here's why. And he yep. teaches them through behavior. And the children are so obviously learning to be good human beings by watching the good adults, including their father. Hmm. Um, That's a very that good point because every time yeah. it happens, that person is identified as bad. Right. Exactly. So yeah, that's a very good well, point. Unlike Scarlett O'Hara... And I'm not, I'm not like calling you out, but like, I, I think about, I've thought about this a lot. I was thinking about when we were watching this movie, Scar- nobody tells Scarlett O'Hara, don't use that word. You know, there is a difference. It is kind of praised with the way the, the romanticism of the culture with a movie like Gone with the Wind versus the narrator, Scout, as an adult, is referring to how she learned about how the world really works through this terrible little microcosm. Mm. There's two big things going on, right? There's this case that Atticus Finch is dealing with where... A black man is accused of raping a white woman. And then we also have this wonderful, which is their introduction to kind of the real world. Then we also have this wonderful symbolism of children fearing what they don't understand with their scary neighbor, Boo Radley, who is Robert Duvall. And the Harper Lee, we have to give it up for her for writing this just amazing tale because, you know, Stephen King often talks about how childhood is a secret society. It has rules of its own. It has a culture yeah. of its own. And I think this movie and this book, what it does so well is that it bridges the gap. It allows you to have that nostalgic thing where you can have a coming of age story as an audience member with these children. But you can also sit back as an, as an observer of these children learning those harsh truths. You don't, so you don't feel like you're stuck in one or the other. You, I do feel like I have Scout's perspective. Don't get me wrong. And I think you're supposed to. But Atticus doesn't seem unattainable to me. Hmm. Did, did you guys feel that? Do he, does he seem too perfect to you or does he seem like he's trying to do the right thing in a, in a bad world? 
or in a not perfect world. He seems he seems he seems accessible. Yeah, I I mean, I I love right at the beginning. He establishes that he gets to know people, so he knows that like the guy who (laughs) drops the flat, like the whatever is uncomfortable with being thanked. It's it's straight up. They're like you're like this guy gets to know people for who they are, and respects that. Yes, dude, and I feel like um, I'm a huge proponent of that adage and i think it's very timely right now if anyone needs some healing or is confused about whatever the other side is thinking whatever side you think you were on right now in this rift that we're living in there's a scene in this movie where the client is being held at the jail and they're concerned that he Uh. is going to be attacked that night so atticus finch goes and stays in front of the jail the entire time and a group of very angry rural white men (laughs) who are on the side of the farmer who is accusing this man of raping his daughter come to obviously lynch him. We have to use the right word. It would be a lynching. You know, that is exactly what they would have planned to do. And the children run up because they were worried about their dad. They just don't know why he escaped in the middle of the night. And the children are right there. And because the children are there, she starts talking to that character you're talking about, Dave. Mm. And it shuts the whole operation down. And I'm a huge adage of the uh, everything you ever needed to learn, you learned in kindergarten. Yeah, this is just one of those examples that it's a perfect essential moment for what we were just talking about. That you have the ability to still see the world through Scout's eyes, even though as an audience member you're so scared at that moment for all of them. Hmm. You're scared for Gregory Peck because he he might not be able to protect himself, or he might get ashamed in front of his children. Obviously, something terrible might happen that these children would witness. And then this beautiful truth comes out because that man just can't stand to look at Scout. And not let her be as genuine as she is and and be so curious about why they're doing there or yeah, what they're she, gonna like do. She there. disarms it with perfectly innocent questions yeah. that make Love. him remember his humanity. Yeah. And also, why aren't you it, responding to me? Yeah. <laughs> he's asking yeah. the guy, she's like, Hey, yeah. I know you're why I know you your talk? son. And the guy's because and, and I would say to what you said about reaching out to the other side, because this is a the, the point of this is to be culturally relevant. Right. So whether it's talking about critical race theory, whether it's talking about childhood, whether it's talking about all the different issues it's brought up, the point is to be relevant to the time and place. This is set in the uh, it says Depression era. So I guess you could say 30s. I thought that the story was supposed to be 20s, but 20s or 30s, Alabama, very racist, Alabama, very unemployed because they're all at the courthouse every day during the week. Hmm. (laughs) Um, But the obviously the book comes out um, after World War Two. And now here's the movie in 1962. So when it comes out, it's meant to be read later. You know, it's meant to be uh, where are we now? And the reason that schools still teach this, which is being on, it's sort of um, being discussed a lot right now of whether or not we should continue to teach it. But it's meant to be where are we now? And I think schools. Yeah, spoiler alert: You should. Well, and schools are <laughs> rightfully so, and and I and people on, online, you know, who maybe have a lot of reason to be angry with with society right now, and how we haven't advanced very far. They're they're thinking: Does this isolate the students of color? Because the only people that they can relate to are the the very very obviously very seriously and unjustly oppressed. And so now, do you are you creating? Yeah, that's a valid point. Are you creating a divide in school? Because the the misconception about people who read this book thirty years ago, like me, and not thirty, but twenty years ago, and we see it through through Atticus's eyes, but it's actually Scout's story. And actually, there was a play on Broadway a couple of years ago, which was a very very good play. From everything I've heard, it was sold the fuck out, so I never saw it when I was available. My mm. parents saw it, everybody knows saw it, and loved it. They go right to the court scene. Pretty much right, right, early on, and they they intersperse the the kids a little bit. They're played by adults, but it's mostly about the trial because that's what 
um, Aaron Sorkin, the playwright, thinks is the most dramatic. But um, the story is Scouts. So it's part like it, you know, Boo Radley's house is sort of like the hmm. the scary house that the clown is living in and it, right? So that's what you feel like when you read it and putting the dog down and all of the allegories in the book. Dave, the, the, everything in the movies in the book, every single thing. Um, obviously, they have to yeah. cut it down. But um, the point I'm, I'm making to try to come back to, to, to what we were saying before is not just about the how do we discuss critical race theory? How do, how do we do that now? Does this book should it stay? Should it go? I think it should stay because it's from the child's point of view, and and it's it's. I, I don't want to conflate any other issues besides this because it's it. This deserves its own conversation. But also bringing it bringing it back to that point that you made about uh, w- whether some of the kids would feel uncomfortable in the class because they identify with the black characters in the book. What a great discussion to have amongst yourselves. Right. It's like I feel uncomfortable because I identify with those kids. Yeah. What, and what a great discussion for kids to have. And hopefully what you get out of this, is, especially through reading it, which is different from seeing the movie, is Scout doesn't get it and she shouldn't. Hmm. Does that make sense? Like she shouldn't get it. Yeah. Does, like we, we, we should be reading it and saying she's scared of Boo. Why is there another villain that's who's approachable and kind? Why are they the villain? Boo should be the villain. And of course, Boo's not. Nobody's. They're not the villain. The, the villain is, is the yeah. angry mob. Because. Um, kids have their own rules. Yeah. So to wrap it all the way, yeah. and I think the ultimate to wrap it, really good, just to wrap it, just to wrap, yeah, it, so, just so to wrap it all the way back up to <laughs> that character who is the racist without the hood on, right? Who um, Scout mm. is talking. He's like, "I know your son. Why aren't you talking to me? I know your son." And the guy immediately realizes he's, he's been um, unrobed, for lack of a better words. And then he's basically like, "Oh, it's okay. We can leave. This is fine. Yeah, I, I know you, Scout. Nice to see you. I'll tell my son you say hi." People in real life, we are we can't tell the difference between what's a show and what's reality anymore. I think that's the most simplistic way of putting it. You can blame a lot of different things, misinformation, anger, whatever. But like, we don't know the difference between reality and, and this fiction. And I think this book, this movie, if we just want to talk about the movie, does that. It brings it up. It's a show. These people, the courtroom and their anger, when they leave the courtroom, are they really going to feel that much better about themselves? Maybe. But in long term, no. It's just a show. And all we need to do is, is, is show them... You know that they're they're behind the curtain and and it, I don't know. There's just so many different ways of thinking yeah. about it. But I, I thought this movie was really I mean, great to watch now with this critical lens. Yeah, this this yeah, definitely it, inspired a really good discussion. I I just want to for a second touch on the court scene and get back to the technicalities of the film itself because in my opinion that courtroom scene is so well directed and it's not just like Gregory Peck that's well directed. The background actors. If you stop and look at the background actors, every time he makes a point leading to the like that guy's innocence they glare at him they hate him more like the judge is leaning back in his chair he's not even listening he's already ruled like it's there's all this subtle direction right down to and the one that i i actually made a note about was the court officer who walks him in at the beginning who walks um what's his name Uh, tom tom yeah tom Yeah. yeah yeah sorry um who walks him in at the beginning um literally just walks in, lets go and lets the other guy tape him and walks off. He doesn't want anything to do with him. After they do the the arguments and it starts to look like, oh, basically they discount everything that these people are saying and it, it's, it shows that he very well is innocent. The court officer walks in, unlocks him himself and gives him an understanding look like, sorry. And it's it's just those little subtle performances like that's a throwback to like 40 minutes before and it's just this this guy has been swayed by the arguments in that courtroom but no one else has i, I wrote down i wrote down that the judge thinks the jury fucked up too <laughs> yeah 
The judge right. thinks he does. That also, that court officer, though, there was a, and I can't remember it exactly, but I know exactly what you're talking about because I remember he has an opposite reaction um, in when she is being um, the counter-argument, the counter-questioning, when Atticus is, talk, is asking her, and he's leading her into her own narrative to prove that when she has the realization that she was never hit. Mm. And then he's like, so what you're saying is blah, blah, blah. And the guy at the court officer behind her, he doesn't like that. Like, that's too far for him. You know what mm. I mean? Like, so you, I, I love what you're saying, because he's mm. this is good casting for background. Every detail matters in movie making. It helps that you can see conflict and subtle racism. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, that man may have thought, like, I'm on the right side of this until that moment happened. And I don't know if it was directed or not, but the fact that you, it's so obviously right there in the background, in frame. I mean, if that's and just you're an allowed actor to making look at a that choice, well, that's phenomenal. Like, if, if that was just him, that's actor that's making amazing. a choice yeah. and director allowing us to use that cut because he was like, that's rich. Right. Or who, who, who knows how it happened? But there are so many details. Yeah that are clearly going back to what we've been talking about. This book is supposed to bring up conflict. It is supposed to help you understand that Scout doesn't understand the conflict yet, and mm. that you can only really learn how to be a good person by questioning all of those conflicts. So if we were, not this is just my two cents, but the answer isn't to get rid of things like this. The answer is to have, uh, we should be reading this, and then we should have them reading um, Their Eyes Were Watching God. Right. right? We, we, we need to have both things we need to have conversations hmm. for both so that everyone can have a perspective to understand one of the criticisms and this might be a little a little dangerous to get into this afi's number one uh protagonist for a long time top 100 protagonist hero whatever yeah. has been atticus finch and i know that the white savior thing is is a yeah, is a real people, issue of conflict and i'm not degrading that at all it might be and i i totally understand that I'm more interested in having that conversation than I am of not talking about it, than I am of saying, we can't praise him, we can't do this. I want to watch this movie. I want everyone to watch these kinds of things. I want mm. us all to read more and watch more so I... that we can get in to discuss whether or not what that actually means, as opposed to the idea of it. The idea of it is less interesting to me, because how do you guys feel after watching this movie? All right, yeah, like Dave, you just watched it. Yeah, I don't think he fell into that at all, because he was helping multiple people in the town it showed him help everyone like he was always there for everyone he was he was the person who fought the battles for whoever needed the battles fighting he was yeah. there to shoot the dog when the other guy couldn't do it he was there like he was the guy who was there for everyone also we're, we're talking about this the story yeah. a lot and and i guess we should make sure that we we stay uh, dave you've never read the book but um another, the, the one mm. thing that's very i think is very clear in the book is that atticus is atticus is the hero maybe but it's from Scout's point of view. So, so much of this is the kid looking up to the parent, right? We're, we're not seeing Atticus solving racism through the, the, um, the enclave in the courtroom. We're seeing it through Scout's point of view 100% of the time in the book. It's through Scout's point of view. And I think the movie does as good as you can possibly do doing a point of view work like that as it possibly can. And so mm. if uh, its children will listen, right? All our Sondheim fans out there. It's that's it's if anything, if as you read it, reread it again as a parent, you want your kid to see you doing the right thing. And you know what? That does get near why people solve racism, but ultimately it it, it shouldn't. Um, but I but it's it's murky. And so I'm willing to have the conversation with anybody who wants to have it. But I, I think they yeah. pull it off. Well. I just want to. Yeah. I, I mean, what are the, I want to redirect the, for a second, too, in a minute. Okay. What are the last lines of this film? It's it's she go, it goes back to the narration of her as an adult. 
and I'm going to misquote it, but she basically says, because Jim has been hurt by Yule, the, the guy, the accuser, um, and Jim is injured, and they're sitting there by the bed. Everybody's left, and it's just her father, Atticus, and her, and it goes back to the narration, she says, and Atticus would sit there with him all night, and he'll also be there tomorrow. And it's just the idea of continuing to try to be good in a world that is going to continue to give you obstacles. So I also think you have to, it makes me nervous to have large blanket ideas projected upon really good literature and art in general, because I think the nuance is so important. If this is not flexible enough to have a, a more interesting and productive conversation around the conflict that obviously she was trying to raise, she was trying to comment on this, Harper Lee, when she was writing this, then I think that is a, I think that is a testament to us clinging to a lazy way to go about solving a very complicated issue, like navigating racism in a country as fucked up as ours, with a history like ours. Yeah. Anyway, I know that's intense, but <laughs> Dave, hit me. Yeah, no, I, I just want to talk about the ending briefly, because a lot of people, uh, one of the criticisms they come forward with this movie is uh, they're disappointed because the the real like suspect in this doesn't get his comeuppance. And that's one of the few things I knew I knew going in, and so I was what I was expecting nothing. But I actually uh, the scene where he goes up to tell the family that like the tragedy has happened at the end, and then the the guy who is actually the suspect, like like who was the actual like through insinuation the, will, the, yeah. the, abuser, the abuser, yeah, the, he uh, he turns up and drunk. This yeah, he's drunk, but that that. And he spits in his face. And that, that final look that Peck gives him when he spits in his face and he just holds for a second and then gets his like handkerchief out and wipes it off. And it's like, it speaks volumes. It's like, this wipes off, but the stain on your soul will last forever exactly. for what you've done. And I, I think that's a perfect comeuppance. Like, that's, that's yeah. all you could expect in a story if you want to stay true to yeah. the story in that time. Because like, they, mm-hmm. they can't do anything else, really. I almost felt it was, you know, the end of JFK where he finally looks in the camera and he basically says, we're telling a movie, but what, like you watching this, like, that's what this is for. I almost feel like that obviously wouldn't have been called for in this movie, but it was that moment Mm. where it's like, would you punch him? Would you hit him? Would that recycle everything? Would that undo a lot of the good? Like, you know, I I thought that was one of those powerful moments. Yeah. Yeah. Also further on the uh, comeuppance, he fell on his knife. Yeah, that's 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 a good story. Yeah. I laughed out loud when that happened. I was like, also "Oh yes, book? okay, that's in the yeah, that's a little, that's a little, little good bit." Um, any, it any- is weird. I thought no, I thought that I think that is important. Just the last thing I'll say about that. I think that is super important. I think sometimes people underplay that that specific part of the story because so what has this story told us thematically about the justice system up until that point? Everything we want to believe about what Atticus bases his principles on, his entire final argument is that every man is treated equal, every woman and man are treated equal in almost nowhere in this country except for the justice system. He really believed that, which we know is not true. Like, we, mm. we knew that we yeah. probably, they probably knew it then, we know it yeah. now. But he was trying to hold those principles up. And then this movie ends with a manipulation of the justice system to try to defend the theme of that would be as bad as killing a mockingbird, to out-boo Radley and to actually hold him accountable to a murder when he was doing something that was ultimately good. So again, I feel like it just takes it even, she turns the knife at the very end 
yeah. to try to make you understand that every single decision that is ever made, we have institutions like justice systems that are important, but those institutions are made up of individuals. Mm. And at the end of the day, you are still going to yeah. be scout. You are still scout and gym. You're going to have to figure this shit out for yourself and you're going to have to work to figure that out. And you're going to have to look to the people like Atticus and others that maybe you would choose to respect that are willing to risk the conflict that don't have all the answers that are willing to get out there and put their feet in the water and, and try to figure it out. And it's just, know. it's just a good movie. It's a bit, we're talking about it's narration. A, it's a really we're not talking movie. about, it's a great, it's a Dave, really Dave mentioned movie. the art direction, but this is a narrative film. You don't have to have a conversation like this after seeing it. If you're out there and you're wondering if you should watch it, you know, don't be intimidated by this talk that we're having. If you don't want to, if you want to put it off to the side, have yeah, the conversation you can go as deep as you want in this movie. Cause it, it does, it does gloss over it with a little bit of childhood innocence, but yeah. like they, they don't go as deep as they could have. So it's, if anything, it's a healthy watch. And I feel yeah. like I don't think it ever, ever... gets sentimental though. Right. No, exactly. That's why I, like the child innocence yeah, is no. great for me. And, and I know I've said this on this pod before, like my favorite kinds of stories, especially like narrative driven fiction, especially first person point of view driven narrative fiction is insulated stuff that is feels like it's as big as any tiny little relationship you've ever had with your friends and family. And it deals with everything. And this is mm. one of those movies. Yeah. It will bring up everything if you let it, but it's going to do it just yeah. through something that's super relatable with coming of age. And so you can like, just, I don't know. You it's just, probably as good as it gets yeah. for that. Also, kind of thing. I, just, I feel like, I feel like we'll kind of get criticized if we don't, uh, that's for everyone. Just, that's just, for yeah. everyone. Well, we have, we yeah. This fucking, is a, this yeah. is a buzz free, uh, Let's pour this one out for Harper. Segment. God damn it. Well, I'll just say I would have been buzzed for the, the cameo performance of the uh, the quote-unquote victim of the rape, who, of course, it's going to be... I don't want to spoil it for anybody that I just kind of forgets. That is a fantastic scene in the courtroom and the yeah. way that the way that Jim's able to hold together. Anyway, we don't need to keep going in circles. Go watch this film again. Um, I saw this on Freebie, the app. It's on Prime for a couple dollars. Um, give it another look. Brock Peters, who played Tom, actually gave... Gregory Peck's eulogy in 2003. Holy shit. 40 years later. They were really, really good friends for the rest of the film. Um, James Earl Jones auditioned for the role, but it went to Brock Peters, who was pissed Mm. off that he was typecast as the the monster all the time. But so anyway, this movie cuts deep, you know? But if you just want to laugh about Scout being a tomboy and not wanting to wear a dress, that is one of my favorite deliveries of all time (laughs) is when she doesn't want to go to school wearing a dress because she's a tomboy. And she says, I still don't get why I have to wear a God doggone dress. And the way she my, says my, it is my favorite, my favorite line of hers is when she gets in the fight with that kid and she says that yeah. he called him the N-word and he's like, well, don't say the N-word. She's like, I didn't say it, he did. That's why I had to fight him. <laughs> That's good, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, so Scout hard. is the right idea. I like when the kid, when the kid pours the syrup, the, the farmer's kid pours oh, yeah. the syrup all over his dinner. What in the Sam Hill are you doing? <laughs> yeah, this is good stuff. All right, yeah, people, go give this a watch. That's so our discussion good. on To Kill a Mockingbird. Uh, we are going to be talking about whatever happened to Baby Jane when we come back. We'll see you soon, film fans. Oh, we're back. back. We're back and we're live. Uh, we're live. We are live, live on the Facebook. The hopefully Facebook. I did not just hopefully I did not just clip my microphone right there. You might have. Well, it, we it are back. Matter. We we just had a fantastic conversation. <laughs> okay.
I guess I shouldn't say it's a little subjective, I suppose, but yeah, we just had a very, very, yeah. very in-depth conversation about To Kill a Mockingbird, our first film from 1962 that we discussed. We are now talking about our second film from 1962, which is Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, which just as a reminder, anybody who has seen Feud or has yeah. heard of Feud, the Ryan Murphy television limited series starring Susan Sarandon and... Oh my God! I keep wanting to say Jane Lynch. What's her name, John? <laughs> Jessica Lang. Jessica Lang. Jesus, two-time yeah. Academy Award winner Jessica Lang. But before we get into whatever happened to Baby Jane, let's do a quick round of news and/or what you've been watching. Dave, you ready to take it away? Oh, uh, I didn't know I was going first, but yeah, I, you're I, always I, going I, first, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's fake surprise. I forgot we're on camera. Um, yeah, I uh, I watched um, Battleship this week. I went back to Battleship. What? Oh, shit. Wait, wait, wait. That was yeah. Rihanna. Yeah. Come on, guys. That movie is just good fun. It is good uh, fun. Was it Was it, it as good as Geostorm? I feel like, I feel like that came out the same oh, summer. I feel, like, I feel like you're borderline there. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> I always have a great time. I've watched it a couple of times. It's it's fun. It's got an ACDC soundtrack. You know, you can't go wrong. And, you know, when you need to distract yourself from the week that everybody else gets a fucking PS5 except you, then it's the perfect thing to to sit there and watch because they're blowing the crap everybody out of got things. That, yeah. Everybody got that text. What is it streaming on? Because I kind of have been wanting to watch a big, fluffy, stupid... I think it's on movie. HBO Max. Okay. I'm pretty sure Thank it's on you. HBO Max, yeah. HBO Max. You're welcome. <laughs> uh that's what that's what you've been watching right that, that that's, is that that's, is what that i've been watching thing. yeah that was it <laughs> other that than our it. other than our movies well, I, I kept, watched, I kept uh, going with star trek discovery and things like that but yeah nice of course of course i also have just kept going kind of taking a break from my my one virtue virtuous show star trek but i went to another virtuous show i've been watching the west wing i've just been crushing it um Maybe that is not the right thing to do. So culturally <laughs> I relevant. I felt like yeah. it was motivational. It was motivational leading into the election. Now I'm happy. I'm still watching it with hope that maybe it'll be something like that again. But who knows? Hope, Jeff, man. what have you been watching? So and then we're going to talk up. about a specific news article with David Fincher. But Jeff, what have you been watching? Oh, yeah. I have been begging my significant other to watch the the queen's gambit so i've been like literally on my hands and knees and i'm like can we just watch yeah, the show yeah. the world been, is losing their mind over this i'm in grad school so i don't have a ton of time so when it comes when it's like when i have a window and i'm like can we just watch the queen's gambit i haven't started mando yet although i will catch up i'm not done with the boys but i'm like ready oh. for queen's gambit and she is so obsessed with Nurse Jackie right now. It's almost like I feel like my hand's going to get bit <laughs> off if I reach for the controller. So we've seen five seasons. I Not me. I haven't seen all of them. But Nurse Jackie, fantastic binge show. We've been doing a lot of the binge shows that most people did in March and April. We've been doing it in October. We watched Broadchurch and Nurse Jackie as our like <laughs> November wow. shows. So anyway, we're watching that. But Queen's Gambit is next on my list. And then we got to get into the Oscar movies. But for now, that's it. BTS. And here's Jackie. <laughs> All right. Very bingeable show. All right. So let's get back to our podcast for our um, non-visual listeners. Let's go to Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. I got to give you the pitch, but it's Betty Davis versus Joan Crawford. Here we go. You ready? A former child star torments her paraplegic sister in their decaying Hollywood mansion this is a hollywood story for sure with with this i'm, I'm gonna use their real names even though you know baby jane baby jane is bet davis betty davis is, is baby jane but 
Baby mm. Jane was a very, very Shirley Temple type in the vaudeville circuit. I'm going to guess 190, I forget the year, it's 1905, something like that. And so vaudeville circuit, Baby Jane was a huge success. And her sister, played by Joan Crawford, whose character name is Blanche, kind of very Blanche Dubois-esque, is a nobody. And then flash forward, and so when they're in their early 20s, Blanche becomes a huge film star. And Baby Jane... Bette Davis is not. Most of this story takes place later on when they're in their later life. And um, Joan Crawford's character is in a wheelchair. And Betty Davis's character, who is the former child star, who is fucking insane, is basically the caretaker for her formerly really successful and wealthy sister in their home. And there's a huge, it's a feud. There's a huge feud back and forth. They're both kind of being vicious to each other in different ways. One's more psychological, one's more physical and psychological. And that's basically what the movie is. Who wants to take it from there? I'll, I'll just say, if you like Stephen King's misery, you need to see this film. And if you didn't, you still need to see this film. <laughs> it's, it's very, it takes us such a fucking dark turn after the opening. <laughs> yes. Like the opening leads in with the kids and it's a song and dance number. And then, you know, the kid throws a tantrum. You're like, all right, a little bit of drama. And then it just goes full fucking left field and turns into a psychological thriller. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is a perfect example. <laughs> I can't remember the last time I was this freaked, like creeped, creeped out is the right word. It was creepy. Yeah. And On th- we are, you know, we have been nurtured with all of our amazing filmmaking stuff. And you know, I love, we just did a bunch of horror movies. I love thrillers. I love psychological thrillers, but we have been nurtured with all the special, special effects and the way we cut movies nowadays, the way we edit them. Uh, we, we try to scare you and creep you out differently. Uh, as George, the, to use the George Lucas uh, analogy, um, showing somebody, yeah. uh, showing somebody as you kill the cat is way less interesting than implying that you've killed the cat. And I feel like this is a kind of a good example of these are very famous actors. And for one thing, I want to celebrate the fact that it was super refreshing watching women at their age have yeah. a story not, this interesting and nothing to, to know, do with looking back at the history and that nothing people to do with to see this fucking movie. This was this was not yeah. like a niche thing. This was a that, popular film. Yeah, in the time it was written, yeah, that was that wasn't a thing like, yeah and not the, I, yeah, had the opposite it, to do, your starlets were supposed talent, to be beautiful right? back then and stuff like that and they right. they weren't this was she was like this mrs was havisham like from something like she yeah Mary Davis made herself hideous for this film and yeah worked it yeah and it just i just think uh filmmaking wise i feel like it's just a good example that it's something that kind of tying back into what we were just talking about most of this movie is a camera pointed at actors who are acting and talking to each other. It's not jump out scares. It's not huge set pieces. It mostly happens inside this mansion. You feel trapped inside these, this place with these women who are going insane. One of them is, is leading that place. You find out at the end that the other one was manipulating them for most of this time. I'm not, we're not going to get into the details and stuff, but, um, I, I don't know. I found it extremely refreshing because it's a different kind of creepy that if this is a good example, if you don't check into world cinema, older cinema, classic movies, you might never have had the sensation before. I can't remember having had this sensation from anything I'd seen in a contemporary setting. Hmm. Certainly nothing that we saw in America in the past five or 10 years. Do you guys, did you find a comparison? I'm going to come in here from did Eric saying, accusing us of just giving everything away 
in this movie because uh, their history isn't revealed to the the end of the film. That's not entirely the case. Their history is revealed like the there's a twist at the end for sure. But no, we yeah. have no by no means given yeah, everything we have to away. Give, yeah, we're, we've given this up goes, like twenty this goes minutes. To places in. we haven't even touched we've, on. We've gone into like twenty minutes. In. Yeah, I said the manipulation thing, but also yeah, you yeah. know, keep, yeah, no, keep the, going. I know, I know what you mean, Eric. I know what yeah, you mean. They're, they're, I mean, yeah, there's a there's a whole section on the end we won't even touch on because I feel like people need to experience that for themselves. But the 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 guts of the movie is them being horrid to That's each it, other yeah. for mm-hmm. some inadequately expl- like some reason that we slowly becomes more apparent as it goes on. There's then there's a side plot with the the composer as well, which was awesome. Oscar nominee. He was nominated for an Oscar for this. Victor Buono, who plays Edwin Flag, the piano player. So strange. It's so so fun and so strange and so bizarre. Yeah. What was the point of that character? I, I, I'm not saying that I mean, negatively. It, it clearly it mattered, but what an interesting device yeah. of a character to to I, reveal I just, that side of Jane. Sorry, all I got was what the fuck up is up with Edwin. He's a super creepy drunk. Yeah, super fucking his mom. Although what what ended adult. up being very helpful to me, what was very helpful to me is that, and, and I don't even know how to say this, you guys. But help me out here. There were some cuts to Edwin. Where you finally had somebody in this yeah. crazy house where he was looking at them like, oh my God, this woman is fucking insane. And I needed that. I needed to have somebody. I don't know if his character was developed in a way that would have satisfied every single person who watches this. But for those few moments where he looks at Betty Davis like, this woman is insane. Do I want to try to use her and get money out of her? Do I need to run out of here as fast as I can? <laughs> I needed those moments. It was like a breather for yeah. me. It was, it was very important for hey. me. It was like a comma in the period in the sentence of this I also movie. think it's okay we, we I am torn and I am going to guess the two of you are as well of when the when it's good to watch this movie with IMDb you know back to David Fincher what we were talking about before I think what he's saying he, he specifically said something we didn't say which is like he misses when people go 700 to 1200 people go to the theater to see a movie it's been a long time since I've seen a movie with 1200 people if I've ever seen a movie with 1200 people before even Broadway shows sometimes don't have 1200 people but um sometimes you don't want people on their phone but like what's going on behind the scenes you know what I mean like we loved girls the show because we believed that it was actually Lena Dunham and her real you know what I mean like like we don't separate Lena Dunham from girls in this show so we have feud which I keep referencing but clearly they made a series about Mm. the actual feud that was going on between Betty Davis and Joan Crawford for instance Joan Crawford married the CEO of Pepsi and the chairman of Pepsi (laughs) Betty Davis bought a coke machine and put it in their green room just, you know what I mean? Just like stupid shit like that. They were doing in real life. They were actually tormenting each other. Does that make the movie better? No, but maybe. Does it make it more fun to watch? Kind of, <laughs> you know? So it's like, if you're watching this at home, you're like, why would I watch this movie from... They, they definitely... They Some definitely of you might that. not even know who Betty Davis is, and mm-hmm. she's one of the most famous, successful actresses of all time. And here we are, we're talking about this movie, her and Joan Crawford. They're both Oscar winners. They're both in the end of their career, and they're both feuding on screen which mirrors a feud that's going on behind the scenes. I think that's fucking fascinating. Like I, there's some really interesting Mm. shit going on with this, but yeah. So, so as far as, so back to Eric's point, Eric, you're all good, man. But you said, you talked about um, how much information to give away. Let's give some of this information away because it makes it fat there. I want you to watch this movie and sit there and go, she's one of them slaps the shit out of the other one. I'm telling you, because I just saw this movie. (laughs) That slap was probably real. 
I'm just gonna go ahead and say that. Yeah, probably can. Somebody was yeah. tied up in a scene. Somebody was tied up in a scene. Do you think that the other actress purposefully was fucking up lines so that that person would be tied up for longer? Maybe. I think it makes the movie kind of fun to watch that way. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I don't. We. I don't know if we can back that one. You. You might be making. Shit I up. might be making shit up, but if you're. <laughs> I, I are you curious at home? Because I was this is the best part of the movie for me. Is I'm sitting there and I'm going, ha, 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 ha. the twist was fun. But I mean, you also you also watch a lot of reality TV. I don't watch a lot of reality television. <laughs> I have I've, I've already talked about my situation and the TV, you know, the tit-a-tet that goes on with the <laughs> remote. <laughs> the one thing I did like was uh, principal shooting was a month. They shot over a month, mm-hmm. and a month Holy later. Shit. They were sneak previewing this thing in theaters. Yeah, there's a quick turnaround. And like two months for a turnaround for a film. Two two fucking pros. And even though they hated each other, even though they hated each other, they both got back-end credits because this was new to that back then, where they both were considered finance they were both considered producers. They were both very successful by this point. So they were given how brilliant is this? So that they had to promote the movie together because they had financial stake in it and they fucking hated each other in real life. But they had to put on a show and promote this movie because they would make more money if the movie was mm. successful. That's fun. That's a fun reason to be entertained by this movie. Did you, did you some... find Did you find when they, because uh, there's times when uh, she mimics Joan Crawford and because she couldn't get the voice right, I'm they, sure you looked they that up. dubbed Joan Crawford's voice on um to did you find that super creepy because she's like the face she's making and then that other other voice comes out and i'm like that's fucking creepy it's really unsettling when she does it there are there are moments that exist and again and like i encourage people to try to watch older movies and world cinema because there are some things like that like a detail like that where they were dubbing a lot of the audio anyway so you can't get away with something like that nowadays it added this other fantastical element that made it more creepy when they exploited it because we knew that it was dubbed audio. It just made it stranger. We mm. didn't, it didn't affect yeah. the realism of the film. It didn't affect anything like that. Cause we were already trapped in this old, older style of filmmaking. Anyway, when she kicks her, when she fucking beats the shit over, when she, that when she kicks her right in the head yeah. and lays her out, that fucking scared me. Betty Davis's voice work in this movie is unbelievable yeah. but you are bland you are in that chair like just everything her, yeah it's very great gardens i was for the me. whole great thing gardens, was super great like garden she's i'm reading some trivia here she was talking about how you know she knew she wanted that kind of look with makeup and she decided to do it herself because mm. she knew nobody would wash ag- face. agree yeah. Her own makeup, yeah yeah i mean she, she's right here if anybody's watching this video like there's this she looks like a doll like she looks like a doll gone bad and, and again i, I want to kind of go back to what i was saying about the women of a certain age in certain types of roles. This isn't me just saying, oh, that's PC and that's correct. What came out of it when when they said, fuck it, I want to do this anyway. And I don't know if society wanted them to do it or if they were ready for it or if Hollywood thought this was a great idea, but they did it anyway. And what all that really happens is a good story that an audience member can enjoy. And people in the industry and fans of cinema can look at actors like that and realize, how brave of both of them was it to say, fuck it, let's do it anyway. And let's lean into this and let's not be glamorous. Yeah. Let's show two women on their way out of that kind of lifestyle, that bullshit kind of material thing when they were both stars. This movie has nothing to do with that part of their life. That is barely expositional 
because the only interesting stuff is when they when they are dealing with each other. And I don't know, I just feel like it's so right. respectable and I don't think we I don't think we make enough room for that in our storytelling nowadays. I think we tend to praise I mean, the come up and not the not the the dealing with it, the conflict, the the real life aspect. It, it actually ended up being more realistic to me because of that, even though I made that fantastical element. Sure. Go, 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 ah, go, we got the go, gush, go, the gush go, alarm go, go, for John. Well, I was gonna I was gonna make sort of a little pitch before I send it on, which is to to your point, John, we don't celebrate that, which is a huge thing of Sunset Boulevard is this fall down that we're glorifying that fall down. And in real life, we love it. We love it when Lindsay Lohan and Britney Spears, yeah. when at least we think, we, we don't really know these people, but we think we know what's going on and we think it's a fall from grace and that's exciting. What if, what if Olivia de Havilland had a sister in Sunset Boulevard who was a tormentor? Like there was, this is a Hollywood story about two women in weird positions, but what if the unsuccessful sister had the fall down that Olivia de Havilland did? And Olivia, you know what I mean? Like, like that's the kind of stuff is going on with me. These stories that they seem so similar to each other. Do you mean Gloria Swanson? Yet like the, the character so... of Norma Desmond in Sunset Boulevard? Yeah, yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Oh shit, was that's, I saying? I was saying the wrong name. I'm so sorry. Um, yes. Jeff, Jeff cannot read tonight. Me for that I have a nine, have a, have a nine percent beer. I'm not reading. Not um, but. But I know what you mean. Um, but that's they're just like the. But I'm trying to get people to watch this movie, and it's mm. on the Criterion channel, which obviously we have, as a podcast have been trying to get you to subscribe to for this whole time. Yeah. Um, but it's just it's a good. If you like Sunset Boulevard, you're going to like this because it's it's like that. But rather than glorifying it, they show us the ugly. They show us the nasty between the two sisters, it's and it just, seems it's pleasant so interesting to me. It seems, it's so and I'm fun. very aware, audience. I'm going to put my foot in my mouth. I'm sure, but like this is a. This is a cisgender, white, straight male saying this in this time and age. But it's interesting when I started watching movies from this period, basically from the 30s, too, including all the screwball comedies. There was a first wave of feminism that happened in the 50s, which we can all look at and study from like a scholarship point of view. But culturally, artistically, the leading ladies that these women were a part of in the 30s, 40s, 50s and 60s, I encourage everyone to go back and, and watch what they were doing, the way they wrote dialogue for these women. These were not sex objects. These were women who, this is not a surprise. It's not a surprise when you see what their careers did up to this moment that they choose to make this movie. Something happened with the way we started casting uh, leading women and character actresses after this period, starting in the later 60s and the 70s, and definitely in the 80s when it got out of control and the corporations got involved. So I also feel like just if again if you're if you like to think of yourself as a responsible audience member and you feel like you're thinking about the issues that are being raised nowadays nowadays maybe start with this movie and work backwards to watch what these incredible women did on screen and I, I don't know I think you're going to be very impressed I know shit was fucked up in a different way behind the scenes back then and I I we weren't there so we can't comment on it directly but there was a different style of writing for women and these i don't know i just feel like this movie it was just such a breath mm. of fresh air i mean i can't remember let's i mean let's just be honest feud starred women of this age only because it was based on a movie no, I, I, that I happened in 1962 i don't know if that movie if that show would have been as successful had it not been based on these real life actresses i, I want to believe that we would have tuned in and watched it because Ryan Murphy knows how to write stuff and those actresses are wonderful and we would have paid attention to it. 
but I don't know. I, I don't know if it would have. Do you disagree with that? Is yeah. that I don't disagree with any of that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I just want to point out when you, you mentioned the writing, I'd like to point out two lines in, in this film that really stood out to me. Um, when they're in the, in the fight and she's like, it's my house. And she's, it's, it doesn't matter whose house it is. You've got to act like a grown woman, like everyone else. <laughs> I was like, if that's not poignant to today's fucking news cycle, what is? Yes. Yes. And the other one was the, the most, the most heartbreaking fucking line in the film is like yeah. that after the twist and everything has happened and she just looks at her yeah. totally blank face and says, you realize all this time we could have been friends. And I think it's the saddest oh. line delivery I've ever heard in my How life. How awesome is that? And uh, yeah, it's like I'm not, personal, I'm not giving right? away anything there, but it's yeah. that like that that line is earned and that line is well mm-hmm. delivered and it's it's a perfect ending of the film and it, it hits you right in the feels. And just uh, for the since this movie is technically, I do want to make this comment. Since this movie is technically in the horror genre from back then, it was kind of billed as horror. Yeah, this so is cool. not a horror film. Um. There are, yeah. Jeff and I have mentioned before, we come from music theater mm-hmm. backgrounds. Horror has used music theater in interesting ways. I've written in the a past. letter to daddy. <laughs> and I have, I have bitched before on this podcast about how I hate music theater is used, adapted for film. What an unbelievable yeah. vehicle to yeah. show you what is happening. The, the degradation of Betty Davis's character with right. the use of music theater. When she actually performs her songs, it is terrifying. Mm. It is. It is probably. It's the most yeah. horrible. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I mean, even the beginning. There's, there's no. Flooring. Even the beginning the, is the, scary. The voice they chose for her singing voice as a child is terrifying. It's such an interesting use of the medium of musicals in a time period in the '60s when musicals were exploding out of Fox Studios. I yeah. mean, right? It was Fox, right? Yeah. Let's yeah. Let's make everyone no, no, hate them. Really yeah. Um, I love that too. And yeah, and really, and really again, cool. I, I literally my whole segment right now is just trying to get people to watch this. Um, so to John's point about this being horror, this apparently created a subgenre called hag horror, which I'm sure is mm. demeaning to women. It's basically like older women horror. I, I imagine again, it would be like if Mrs. Havisham had her own movie, would it be hag horror? I, I don't but know if also, that's what it references. I think it references actresses that transform themselves. I, I hope you're right. Mm. I hope role. you're right. Like as I as I cited earlier, Stephen King's Misery. I hope you're right. It also has yeah. psych. That's a cup half full. It, it, it also has <laughs> psycho bitty, hag exploitation, and grande dame. It doesn't matter. Anyway, the, so I, I said Sunset Boulevard. Another thing that I thought about watching this movie specifically to psycho bitty and hag horror, of course, is Fatal Attraction. So if you want to watch like a tentpole film starring two, literally two Oscar winners, like two all timers. Joan Crawford and Betty Davis are all timers and you can see fatal attraction coming from this movie. You can see um, what, what, what would happen if Alfred Hitchcock couldn't be in charge of his leading ladies? Like what if they were autonomous? What if they were, mm-hmm. and, and they hated each other, but the one thing they always said about each other is that they were each pros. They never disrespected each other's professionalism. Yeah. Um, and I think that this is just an all timer mm-hmm. movie. I had no idea. You guys talked me into watching this movie. I did not recommend this. And I'm so glad you did. This I'm I'm literally yeah, I was I watching this no and I said what this was about. I said thank God we have a fucking podcast because I would have not I I would have died not seeing this movie and I'm so happy I saw this yeah. movie. Watch this movie. This is one of those I'm ashamed too. This is this is one of those that's been on my list for a long time and I just I have not done a deep a deep enough dive into Betty Davis's work. There is yeah I'm thinking that there now is too. a Fatal Attraction reference if you know your Fatal Attraction with the bunny and the soup. 
those dinner plates. Yeah. One of the oh, sisters yeah, is tormenting yeah. her. She opens up the dinner platter and she lifts off the lid. And I'll just say, if you've seen Fatal Attraction, you know the bunny reference with the boiling brownie bunny. Not too dissimilar. I'm telling you, like it's it's here. Know your history, people. This is amazing. And to tie it, I'm going to tie it into our David Fincher conversation. Maybe this will be the ending. He was talking about, I was listening to him recently talking about making um, Panic Room and how he was like, he's interested. He always likes messing with thriller material because there's not as much uh, pressure put on you as a director to like, what are you trying to say with this movie? Like people can, you know, just have fun and go on dates and watch these kinds of things. And he was talking about uh, the slow motion sequence in Panic Room where she runs to get the cell phone and she can't quite reach it. It's falling away. And he was like, God damn it. Well, if we're going to pander, let's fucking pander. This movie puts on a fucking clinic when Joan Crawford is going down the stairs for how to pander a suspense scene in a thriller (laughs) movie. Like, you've been waiting for her to do this the whole fucking time. You're so angry at her that she hasn't done it already. And then she takes a million years to climb down these stairs. And it's just it's just so effective. It doesn't matter that it feels like it's falling into a genre thing. She's acting so sincerely that it's impressive as fuck. And I don't know if it was one of the first times these devices were used. But I feel like it's just another good example that when when your actors know what the fuck they're doing and you sincerely go for it, it doesn't matter if it's a device or not. It's going to be effective because when Betty Davis came back home, I was terrified. Same. (laughs) I was very unsettled with the piece of paper. Shout out to David Fincher for the panic room reference, John. Thank you, Dave. Yeah. Oh, you're welcome. All right, we got to bring this home. Uh, So, uh, are you ready for the random year? The short short answer is uh, watch this movie. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to say a quick goodbye to everyone who joined us for Facebook Live tonight. Thanks, guys. Thank you so thank much. You, and thank you, Eric, for your comments. We really appreciate that feedback. Appreciate it. David Jane. She, I mean, that picture is fucking haunting. To anybody on this podcast, find us on YouTube because that picture next to John, look at look at Betty Davis next to that doll and you know you're in for a, a very fun ride. It's fucking fucked up. scary shit. Holy shit. All right. And we're going to bring it on home with a random year. Do you want to shout out during the sound effect? Anybody? <laughs> Congratulations! Just to for Justin that, I'm not doing the sound oh, effect. I watched. I watched. I watched the Masters. Dustin Johnson. I forgot I mentioned that before. Okay. Also, Jay. DJ. Get the fuck out. Of course, records. So many records. Unbelievable. All right, our year is 1975. I think it's an all-timer year, right? All right, people. We will talk about this soon. Film fans, thank you so much for sticking with this segment. We'll see you in a second. And we're back! We're back. <laughs> what a discussion that was. And we just had a fantastic discussion during your 30-second break, film fans. We were talking about which films from 1975 we should do. And I'm going to tell you right now, we chose two fantastic films to talk about on our episode next week. I cannot wait for our discussion. But you will find out. <laughs> you will find out the three films that we are going to talk about in our next week's episode at the end of this. First, we got to finish up this week's pod, which is our discussion of 1962. We are now in our redemption segment, or was it really that bad? For context, we have all been drinking now for over two hours. My beer is 9%. I believe some of you also had similarly strong beer. 
Shout out to Glenn's podcast, The Beer Avengers, which John was on recently, talking about beer. 9% beers, people. Well, here we are talking about Godzilla vs. King Kong. John, John wasn't on that. <laughs> I wasn't on that podcast. <laughs> so here we are talking about Jeff, Godzilla. Jeff, Jeff, is drinking, Jeff is drinking 9% beer. Here we are talking about Godzilla. Oh Listen to the Beer God. Avengers. We're talking about We're Godzilla. Talking to the Beer Avengers. <laughs> They're our friends. <laughs> so good. Did we plug you enough, Beer Avengers? Go, go listen to Be Avengers. <laughs> oh We're talking about God. Godzilla go versus King to, Kong. Go people. listen to Be Avengers, where we are definitely not on the show. It's King Kong versus Godzilla, motherfucker. It's not even Godzilla versus King Kong. No, it's Godzilla versus King Kong. No. It's King Kong versus Godzilla. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> Did you watch it? Did yeah. you watch the movie? Oh my God. I watched. I just wrote it down wrong. <laughs> there's no uh, way. There's no way we can re we can re record this, right? There's no way. No, there is no, no way is, we can re record this. this is, All right, everybody. Good. I wish Shout this was out to live. the uh, Beer Avengers podcast here for sponsoring our King Kong vs. Godzilla segment. Um, so this is our redemption segment oh where God. we, since this uh, podcast is a drinking game where we can only say positive shit about movies. We are going to have to redeem this fucking movie, which <coughs> is available on YouTube. <laughs> He's joking. So, um, this is a bit, so we, again, we, we, as John said before, we don't have the Criterion spine. It was very expensive <laughs> to get all those movies. So we didn't do that. So here we are. It's on YouTube for free. There are English dubs that generally makes this movie, that generally oh. makes the movie worse. English dubs. This case, eh. Um, Here's basically the pitch. The pitch is it's King Kong versus Godzilla. That's the fucking pitch of the movie. That's so, the pitch. <laughs> this is, That's the pitch. so this yeah. is 1962. Pitch is over. <laughs> what they actually say the plot is, is <clears throat> this is IMDb. A newspaper and television yeah. station funded by a pharmaceutical company want a sensation, which happens to be the discovery of King Kong on an island. He is captured and dun, brought dun, to dun, Japan. Dun, dun. Where he escapes from captivity and battles Godzilla. That's bullshit. That's not what this movie's about. So this movie really, in my words, which are very lucid right now, are Godzilla is discovered. <laughs> now, as anybody who knows their Godzilla lore knows that it has something to do with nuclear fission. But here we are in 1962, and he just appears in an iceberg. <laughs> he just appears literally in an iceberg in the South China Seas. I guess it's technically in Japan, but it, like in near Australia. Dave, were you happy to see Australia on a map? That was pretty fun. <laughs> um, anyway. I actually didn't look closely. They have New Zealand on there because it's a conspiracy to not include it on a map anyway. I mean, if they did have New Zealand, New Zealand looked like a moon of australia is so small like australia was huge it almost took me a second to figure out where they were anyway so got, they, they saw some radioactive shit going on in the middle of an iceberg in the middle outside let's say outside of japan and also separately king kong is a god on this island um and they don't know how to stop godzilla from going to tokyo because they believe godzilla is gonna go attack tokyo so um they go to the island where king kong is and ex Pedite him to Japan so that he can compete with Godzilla. That's the story. Godzilla's on his way. We don't want to nuke him with atomic bombs. So we get King Kong to do our dirty work for us. That's the pitch. Who wants to go first? They outsourced King Kong. That's what it is. That's the movie. Man, I, I tell you, I'll tell you, like, I, I was like, all right, we're doing this, whatever. And it starts with like a stop frame earth 
circling, like rotating, and and then and a get, quote from Hamlet, and, and again a quote from <laughs> Hamlet. I'm like, we started with Shakespeare and stop frame animation, and suddenly my expectations went through the roof for this movie. Yeah, it's awesome. I mean, what is it's the there are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, than are dreamed of in your philosophy. I mean, yeah. that is how they just, and you know, that was just the English version. They didn't. Yeah. They yeah. just there. There are so many things about this movie. There's a whole. There's a very prominent segment of a UN representative who is like <laughs> reporting to the United States that was not in the Japanese version. Apparently this movie touched me. You guys, I watched this a lot when I was a kid. This was like one of my sleepover movies. Wait, you've seen wow. this movie before. Uh, yeah. I think Disney is at it, one point it like made everyone go to sleep. Old... <clears throat> nah, dude. Nah. Oh, come on. I like it. I think there are, uh, you have to be able to laugh, but like, is, is there a better movie for like shitty miniatures? D- d- I was like, just going like, to ask sets? that. Did you think those tanks were not miniatures when you were young? No, not at all, right? I think everybody's... Like you knew it was fake and you were like, this is ridiculous, but... I think everybody's seen the pictures of like the the, I mean, the, car- the, the Godzilla like action figures trampling over Tokyo. Like we've seen those in the original Godzilla in the 30s, but... These miniatures, those tanks were running away as if they were the toaster in Star Wars running from Chewbacca. It was like childish. <laughs> so that specific shot when they when they're going they're the going other way, in the mountain, they're about face. Yeah, there <laughs> were no humans in those tanks. Those tanks were themselves the human. They were literally like, "Get us out of here!" Ah! I mean, to, the, be, to, be, to be honest, I expected this to be way worse than it was. Oh, it was so entertaining. They, yeah. they, they wrote it as a lighthearted comedy. And it, it's um, to right. throw back to Network, it was they were taking the piss out of the media, basically, because the media treats this like a fucking prize fight. Yeah. It's like, oh, we got Godzilla, yeah. we got King Kong. They're going like, to get it all. Like, we're going to like, fight and we're going to show it. And like, it was, it, they, the whole thing was a piss take of the media with some other fun stuff thrown in. I want to talk about that for like, a second because one of my food. one of my first notes was <laughs> the 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 news reporters who for the most part are talking direct to camera so that takes a second to get used to they give you a lot of the exposition so they just say yes. straight out there's radioactivity going on in a iceberg and so therefore the Japanese government sends some ships let's go see where they are oh they did discover Godzilla well there's also a god who maybe King Kong on an island we should go there so. There's a little bit of spoon feeding going on, but once you realize it's a comedy, it changes. And also, <laughs> I I had this the funny thing happen where um there, there's a there's a device, but maybe I shouldn't get to this too soon. But let, let's just say, first of all, King Kong is so ugly in this, but in an endearing way, is the most unattractive creature I've ever seen on screen. That King Kong face is just hideous. But <laughs> <laughs> let's just say um, they put King Kong to Ugh. sleep, and rather than pull a Lost World Jurassic Park where they put him on a boat in a cage. At least they tie him to balloons. Well, I guess at first they put him on a raft and then eventually tie him to balloons. So again, before I realized it was a comedy and they were going to be doing weird shit with the fact that you could just lull King Kong to sleep like the three headed dog in Harry Potter. They I saw that twice by accident because I stopped it and I was like, I have to go do something. And then when I came back, I watched it again and I realized how funny it was. I didn't realize it was a comedy at first, but I'm really glad I had to see that again. (laughs) I mean, it was was like... It was like being in Australia or the Gold Coast at 3 a.m. Like King Kong comes out, beats up a fucking octopus, gets pissed on berry juice and passes out. What is with us watching octopus movies? <laughs> Why do we always pick octopus movies? 
Honestly, I was thinking, like, is this the same octopus as Ed Wood's movie? One of my favorite pieces of trivia is the first piece of trivia. It's not just because it's the first one, but it's the first piece of trivia on IMDb. The special effects operator or supervisor, they used four uh, octopuses throughout <laughs> that sequence. They released three of them, and he ate the last one. <laughs> yeah. The special effects supervisor. Bad form, special effects supervisor. Japan, <laughs> That's for you. I did like, I did like, so it's interesting. I'm glad you brought that up because, like, apparently Ashiro Honda was always frustrated with the latter Godzillas that they, because those kinds of co- comedic takes on these kinds of movies were really popular in Japan at the time. And he didn't think it was funny. He, he liked, you know, he, it was like his baby, Godzilla, and he wanted people to have a more thrilling experience. So I do think it created like a weird dichotomy of people, kind of like our Batman conversation last week. Like people were maybe used to seeing a slightly more, not serious, but a slightly more thrilling take on Godzilla. And mm-hmm. then this one was clearly like ridiculous. Um, I did I mean, appreciate... The thing is, some of the, the a the lot of it was the American element. stuff they added that was ridiculous. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I guess we'll never know. I mean, the, the, the media sets look like a Star Trek one. cosplay basement. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. It looks super cheap, but I did appreciate that the the way they use the cut-ins of the media that they didn't have to justify what the monsters did next. They would just mm. cut away from it. Yeah, yeah, and then they would tell you like a like an actual news report would be if you were actually there on the islands of japan they would say and now godzilla is moving towards this city they didn't need to show you how we got there they didn't need to show you what happened when they cut away from it actually, i thought that was you know what that reminded a very me malleable of? device that reminded me what? of war of the worlds yeah the broadcast yeah, for sure yeah it felt like that which i yeah. thought was cool like it kind of elevated it beyond just the ridiculous comedic thing that was going on hmm. throughout because if you only concentrate on the fact that the suits are horrible, like especially Kong suit, like apparently they really wanted him point of view wise. They wanted the audience to root for Kong. So they tried to make his face more easy to look his at for children. Hideous. They didn't want his face, it but it was fucking terrifying <laughs> in their, in their <laughs> attempt to make it more pleasing. It like made it horrible to look at. This, guys, please watch this movie on YouTube and turn it into a drinking game. It, it is so ridiculous. There is a time yeah. where when Godzilla is finally getting close and they need Kong to go fight Godzilla and Kong does not want to fight Godzilla. So they lull him to sleep with some weird ass tribal chanting and they literally pull an up. Yes, yeah, so the movie up and they tie balloons to him and float him through the sky on balloons while he's asleep. And I'm telling you right now, it is worth the hour and a half watching this movie to see King Kong, who is clearly a very unattractive man in an unattractive monkey suit, wake up in the middle of the air, floating via balloon to the middle of nowhere. It is worth the price. It, it is worth the time. Yeah. It is 100% worth it. I'll tell you what. That was it, a good piece it, of one, trivia. Though. The one thing that the, the news coverage, like the constant news coverage, though, did start to feel to me like, you know, when you tune into a sports event about an hour and a half too early and they're just fucking filling in time. (laughs) I mean, you are just waiting for the showdowns, of course. And it's kind of a letdown that the first showdown is not a showdown at all. Right. The guy's name is Trivia. Apparently the guys, apparently, because these were two, obviously these were two real humans inside these suits that were fighting around miniature sets. Shocking. Um, there is a big throw at one point uh, where Kong 
body, body tosses <laughs> Godzilla. And these are two judo champions from Japan who are inside these suits. And apparently the guy who's playing Godzilla with the suit on weighed 300 pounds. And it was like a big deal. And the guy in King Kong suit was like, no, let me do it in real life. Don't use the stop motion. I want to do this. And it was like a big deal that he threw a 300 pound yeah. Godzilla actor man across <laughs> into the also, fucking miniature sets. That final battle I call unfair fight. Kong used performance enhancing electricity. <laughs> Yeah, I love unfair. how they just threw unfair. that in there for yep. no reason at all. Like, that didn't exist in his lore yeah. at all. There's no reason it shouldn't be Godzilla right. who who can thrive on electricity. No, it's the mammalian chimpanzee. Yeah, the yeah. the radioactive <laughs> gorilla creature, thrives yeah. on electricity. I mean, it's it's campy, it's ridiculous, but it really works. Fuck it, it's, you guys. It's, I don't one care. Of, it's one of those movies you get drunk with your friends and have a party and watch. As I'm telling John, you, I had tons of fun. Yeah. Or make more chick, make your chocolate milk when you're eight years old and fucking sit up all night and watch a bunch yeah, of Godzilla movies. Whiskey, I used to love great. these movies when I was fun. And no joke, this made me really excited for Godzilla versus Kong, the 2021 oh, what release. What is the fucking culture shock going to be of watching that after watching this? With Billy Bob Brown. <laughs> listeners, one time, listeners, film fans, one time Jeff and I got very affected by a green plant and we went to the movies <laughs> and we saw... We saw that first Godzilla 2014. Is that when it came out? 2016? The first one, one of yeah. these reboots. Uh, yeah. Mm. This monster verse. And we had an amazing time. It was fucking terrifying. I, I love what they're doing in these new things. But just to tie it back into this old movie, when I started watching these movies when I was a kid, it was kind of my first experience of getting into a universe. So I remember this movie opens with, doesn't open with it, but with the way they discover Godzilla when they ram into this iceberg and he's trapped in the iceberg, I was like, wait a second, does that mean that in a previous movie, Godzilla got trapped in the iceberg? Because I know there are other Godzilla movies. And it kind of launched me into this whole chasing down like the other Godzilla movies as a child. So even though this movie is kind of crappy and it's just kind of a joke, it did. It was the first experience I had watching like a series. I, mm. I remember I got super obsessed with like how they tracked Godzilla through time right. I mean, with the history of Japan. It, it made you curious. Oh, it it, it did its job. I mean, there was one section that was a little personal to me. It was like when they're, they're walking on the island, the two uh, Japanese guys have gone to the island and this one guy freaks out and jumps and the other guy's like, oh, it's only a lizard, then promptly blows it away with a shotgun. <laughs> it, I had a, yeah. I, seriously, I had a throwback to the day that my dad stepped on a King Brown snake in the backyard in Australia. And it, it was the same thing. And he, he went and got the shotgun off the wall and he blew the crap out of that thing. I was like, oh, it's a little bit of personal stuff for me. It, yes. Jesus Christ. Yeah, no, I know. You mean, used to King, shoot King Browns are deadly, backyard. man. It's uh, the, the worst part was he wanted me to lift a piece of tin that it was under. And I was like, fuck off. I'm not lifting that. <laughs> yeah. How about, when, how guys, how about when they give that child cigarettes? <laughs> Do you remember that spot? They're like, no, don't Smoke. let your mom see these. And it like cuts up to his mom and she like steals the cigarettes from the kid and just starts chain smoking. Yeah. The mom just, yeah, that, that's ridiculous. Funny. Um, how about yeah. but the, the funniest thing for me was the, uh, the wire when they introduced the wire, the high tensile wire that's stronger than steel. We have the, to justify the balloons. Yeah, but no, but, <laughs> but the test, they're just having dinner. And for some reason, he brings up this wire. It's like, have you seen this? And he has it in his pocket. And so this royal rollout thing, he then promptly, <laughs> he then promptly attaches it to his belt. And he's like, yeah, swinging out off the balcony. I fucking laughed out loud, man. I pissed myself at that yeah. scene. I, I, I was like, I did dubbing in that scene. Is it took me so long. And, and there's a character named Sir Taco who almost sets off a bomb because the only people guarding oh, yeah. the bomb are two guys in Hawaiian shirts 
who'd say, hey, you shouldn't set that bomb off because that's a bomb. Anyway, I, I don't know why I didn't realize this was a comedy until I saw Unibrowed Sir Taco. I was like, oh, is he the comic relief? And I was like, no, he's the movie. This is the tone that this movie's. They're the UN goodwill ambassadors that show up to King Kong's island and basically encourage. They they bring the whole island community with them to Japan so that they can lull King Kong to sleep. How did I not know? Like, I, I really thought I was like, is this one of those? Like, is it like The Room? Is it one of those like good bad movies? I didn't realize but, it was a comedy because I thought this was their one chance to get these two villains not- against each other. I, I, mean, I realized it was a comedy. Like this, I realized eventually, like even, it just took a long time. It's even snappy humor. Like the 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 family stare, and they're like, "We need to go to Hokkaido," and straight away it cuts because, the news. Do not go to Hokkaido. Well, because it's, it's you don't see though. Luke Skywalker and um and Michael Corleone in like a gay slasher fiction movie. You know what I mean? Like you don't see that. And here to see Godzilla and King Kong. And in your defense. What? And in your defense. <laughs> the, the, you the No, no. In your defense, <laughs> the American parts of it, the UN guy, that is yeah. not comedic. Right. So it, it is, I do feel like least. this English version doesn't quite line up it's with the Japanese version. The, the things, the Goodwill stuff is kind of funny. I mean, I like it. I like it's it. Insensitive. I like when they interview the man from the his, uh, Museum of Natural History in New York. And he's yeah. like, Godzilla seems to be a cross between a Tyrannosaurus Rex and the Stegosaurus. <laughs> and the talk about the brain just, size. Godzilla's brain is the size of a peanut, whereas Kong is a thinking beast. Yeah. It's like, yes. I think, yeah, where they try to, I don't know. It's just, it's, yeah, they, they they go way into way more detail than they should for a comedy romp, but it's uh, it is. I mean, it is fun. Again, like I said, guys, tell it's, me, it's something you get your friends together in a room and watch the film and see if they still yeah. follow you on Instagram the next morning. Get a rapid, guys, get a rapid dub? test, and then hang out and watch this movie. Did they dub the the submarine was supposed to be American, right? Yeah. I think so. I'm not Did sure. Did they that's dub a, that's English a voices? That is over. a fantastic drinking game. Like every time one of the Asian actors sounds like an American drink. That's yeah. That's interesting. That's every. Well, some of them are. You're going to be wasted. You're going to have alcohol poisoning. <laughs> You'd be like <laughs> Jeff for trying to intro this segment. Oh Sorry. boy. Oh yeah, what did boy. You call it? That was good. I, I just switched the, the time. I just switched. Yeah, the I just. Time. I also just wanted. Let's just segue for a second, Jeff. How are you this fucking hammered when we just did two segments where there were only two buzzers? I still drink when I don't get buzzed. Just, you know, <laughs> I still drink. Also, it's the 9% people, people listening to this podcast are probably wondering what happened to us between Betty Jean and this. It was a 35-minute talk about which movies from 1975 we, we should do. Yeah, and do you know how to get through a 30... You know how to, do you know how to get through trying to figure out what's available for streaming and what's good and what's a redemption? You know, it's like you just you drink your way through it. That's what happens. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I think that's about it to wrap it up. Big. So I think we redeemed yeah, this movie because we'll, this is we'll a really fucking happen. fun yeah. movie. I think this we did is, it. This is a fun movie. Like this, I bagged the shit out of it, but this was fun. This I laughed gimmick at doesn't always. Times. This gimmick doesn't always work because we don't. We it sometimes we just get no. drunk and we just talk crap about these movies. But we redeemed but this we movie. Did it. Go we did watch it. this movie. That's three for three. Watch these movies. Wow, it's on three for three. This one just is this right up there. This movie is as important as To Kill a Mockingbird. Put it on your list. After the whole conversation, get out of here with that. Friends, it's been so fun. Dave is going to introduce to you all the movies we're going to do next week. They're all available Jeff for didn't streaming write it down except again. for one. Yeah. Of course not. Okay, go ahead. What are we watching next week, Dave? All right, we're going back to 1975 next week. We're going to uh, take a dive into One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Never heard of it. Kidding. I feel like it's you know something we were born to do. 
Uh, Dog Jay. Day Afternoons getting a uh, Fuck segment. Yeah. Attica! Yeah. And uh, then we're gonna Attica. we're gonna try and redeem Death Race Two Thousand. Very excited. <laughs> it's not gonna go first, well. Not my first choice, but I'm very excited. <laughs> Friends, thank you so much for joining us, John, Dave. Any final words before we head out? No. Nope. Cool. All right, let's nope. do it. See you next week, film fans. Have a great night or a good day. <laughs>